We are in this last sermon of 2007. Uh, Going to return to our study of the book of Luke. We are hovering for a little bit here on the uh, Lord's Prayer as it's found in Luke. Last week we took a break because it was Christmas, and so we did kind of a Christmas message of a very unusual sort, talking about the groom coming to get his bride. Uh, But now we're going to return back to the Lord's Prayer, and I want to entitle this message, Displaying the Holy Name. Because we're going to be looking at the phrase, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Displaying the holy name. And it comes out of Luke chapter 11, and we'll read the first four verses. I'm reading from the TNIV version. It says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, fine. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Two weeks ago, we talked about the Father concept that Jesus really introduced into the world, that Abba Father concept, uh, evoking a degree of intimacy that was, up to this point, rather unknown in Judaism. Uh, And now we're going to talk about the phrase, hallowed be thy name. Pray with me here for a moment. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet. It's your inspired word. It instructs us. It confronts us. It challenges us and it transforms us. And your promise, Lord, is that your word, when it goes forth, it would not return void. And we're just going to invoke that promise right here. Lord, let your word go forth, confront us, instruct us, and transform us. I pray in particular, Lord, that the areas of our life, emotionally and spiritually and physically and relationally and financially and any other area that causes us to limp through life rather than dance, I pray that, that, that Lord, that that would be healed by this word here this morning and by the prayer time that's going to come later on. Just be present here. Lord, bless those who are in this auditorium. Bless those who are listening uh, over the internet. And build your kingdom in all of our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I'm going to give a message here. And then uh, after an offering, we're going to go into another time of worship. And we're going to open up the front of the auditorium for healing. We'll have our prayer team up here. And so just be preparing your hearts for that. Uh, As I mentioned before, it it has been in the first two services uh, just such a beautiful thing. God has been touching people in powerful, powerful ways. And uh, you want to take advantage of that, and you want God to be glorified in that. Let's look at that phrase, hallowed be thy name. Your name, hallowed be your name. I'm so into the King James Version, I keep on saying thy. It's hallowed be your name. The word hallowed in Greek is hadziadzo. And it literally means to to consecrate, to treat as holy, distinct, other. To honor the uniqueness of something, set it apart. It's the opposite of mundane or common or profane, holy. The phrase says, hallowed be your name. Now, the the concept of name in Jewish culture, in ancient Jewish culture, uh, and therefore throughout the Bible, is very different from our concept of name here in Western culture. When we give names, they're just treated as tags or titles. My name is Greg. It's just my tag. You call Greg and I, I turn and I look at you. But it doesn't say anything about me. It's just a tag. 
You don't, there's no Gregness about me that my name evokes. My parents didn't like lay hands on me and prophesy uh, that I was going to have a Greg kind of existence, and that's why they named me Greg. No, it was just a tag. They thought it was cute or something, so they gave me the name. That's, that's how most people in Western culture are named. We, we get a tag, a title. Uh, the the uh, tag for our church is Woodland Hills Church. Uh, it doesn't tell you anything about the church at all. <laughs> Nothing. There's no wood. There's no land. There's no hills. It's just Woodland Hills. It's, Sounds like a country club. See, that's a very Western idea. Um, and, it, you know, we were supposed to be a Woodbury church plant. So what they did is, you know, to ch- plant churches back in the early 90s, they'd survey the, the people in the area that you were going to, you know, have your church in. And they asked them, you, know, you, you get to pick the name of the church. What do you want it to be? It wasn't like a lot of intercessory prayer or anything like that. It was just an opinion poll. Uh, so we got a tag, Woodland Hills Church. I'm hoping someday we get a little more biblical about this and get a name that really represents something about what we do uh, and, and what we're called to do. But right now, that's our tag. But see, in the Bible, I'm not going to preach that sermon just yet, but in the Bible, <laughs> biblically, the, your name is it, it, to uh, express who you are. It's your character. It's your destiny. It's your reputation. You can never separate the essence of a person uh, or a place from its name. The name is very important. So to say, Lord, hallowed be your name, you're saying consecrate, keep separate your name, your character, your essence, your, your, your reputation, what you display. And so throughout the Bible, you'll, you'll have this uh, phrase used, or something like this phrase used, uh, where the Lord will say, you know, may my name be magnified throughout all the earth. Or the psalmist will say, Lord, exalt your name throughout all the earth. That's not just saying, let the tag, Yahweh, be known everywhere. It's saying, uh, Lord, let your character be put on display and exalted throughout all the earth. The name is the character, the manifest character, which is wrapped up with the reputation of the one it names. Lord, let your reputation be great among all the earth, among all the nations. There's times where God complains. We'll see one of these... uh, See one of these passages a little bit later on. But what the Lord says to his people, because of the way they've been behaving, he says, you've desecrated my name. And what he's saying there is you're ruining my reputation. You're making me look bad down there on the earth. Knock it off. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're saying, Lord, let your reputation, your character, manifest character be consecrated, separate, distinct from all that is common in this world, all that is profane in this world. Keep it holy. We're declaring that God's character is holy, and we're asking him to keep it holy. Now, we often say this here at Woodland Hills Church, that that one of the best ways to get into the meat of the word is to ask questions of the text. Probe. And so here's a question. Why would we need to pray that? God, keep your character holy. Is there any chance that he wouldn't? Is God tempted to desecrate his own name? And, and no, it's, but if God was always going to keep his name holy, why are we asking him to do it? See the question? Here's another question. Uh, how, how would he do that? How does that work? How does God keep his name holy? We are yet wondering why, he would, why we need to ask him to do that. But even apart from that, how would he do that? What does it look like for him to keep his reputation holy? Now to answer those questions... As with so many other questions uh, that, we, that arise in the Bible, we've got to get into the Jewish culture because the whole Bible is spun out of Jewish culture. So let's go back to ancient Israel. As many of you know, keeping the, names, the name of the Lord holy was foundational to ancient Israel. 
It was the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain, which simply means don't misuse the name of God. Don't desecrate the name of God. Don't make it something common or something profane. Don't use it for any other purpose than what it's meant to be used for, and that is to display God's character. Don't misuse the name of God. We misuse the name of God when we invoke God for our own purposes. Sometimes people manipulate other people with the, the, the name God. They invoke God. Pastors do this sometimes. You know, they, they'll call on God, and, and they're, what they're really doing is trying to get their own will done in your life, but they'll invoke God. God's telling me that you're supposed to, blah, 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 blah. And if God's actually saying that, fine, but sometimes it's just that the person wants something done, and so they, they bring God into the picture. You shame people with, with a, by invoking God or things of that sort. When people try to give their political opinions more clout by invoking God, this is what God thinks. I think they're using the name of the Lord in vain. That's, they're, they're, they're misusing it. That's not the purpose of the word. It's not putting God's character on display. You're just giving your opinions a little more authority uh, to a certain clientele, to a certain group of people. And of course, whenever we use the name of the Lord uh, vul- in, in a vulgar way, we're misusing the, 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 uh, the word. It's, it's not what, what, what the name is all about. Central to Israel's call was keeping the name holy. Honoring the character of God is distinct. In fact, central to Israel's call as the nation that God raised up to reach the world, central to that call was their commission to manifest that name, to make his name, to make God's reputation holy throughout the whole earth. Because God raised up Israel not just for their sake, but for the sake of reaching all the nations of the world. And in God's plan, they were to be a nation of priests, as it says, and they were to, to minister to the other nations and, and, and give God a good reputation among those nations by the way that they acted and the way that they uh, treated others. It was one of their central jobs. And God's goal was that through Israel, the nations would come to know the true God. They'd come to know him. And so you find this dream of God that's, that's articulated throughout the Old Testament, but especially in the book of Isaiah where the Lord says, someday all the nations will be gathered around Mount Zion and they will know my name. They'll know my character and they'll worship me and humanity will be united under the one true God. Israel was supposed to do that. Now, unfortunately, Israel often didn't do that. Very frequently, they became just like other nations. Very frequently, they worshiped false gods. They worshiped idols. Very frequently, they engaged in other practices and they desecrated the name of God. They, they ruined his reputation because they, they, they weren't distinct. They weren't separate. They just became part of what's already out there, just like the other nations. Some of you may recall that David, King David, the man after God's own heart, that one fateful evening while he was up on his rooftop, you know the story, 2 Samuel, and he was looking around town and he saw Bathsheba. And Bathsheba was taking a bath outdoors. That's how they did it back then, in her backyard. And he spotted her. And she looked good to him. And so he arranged, as the king, he can do this, he arranged for her to come into his quarters. And yes, they did it, and she got pregnant. And then David, this man after God's own heart, had her husband killed by putting him on the front lines and having the troops uh, uh, retreat behind him. And uh, then Nathan the prophet shows up and says, Nati, not." You are the man. Thou art the man. Tells that story about the lamb and stealing and whatever. And says, you are the man. And really reads in the riot act. And part of what he says there, it's really interesting. In 2 Samuel 12, he says, David, you have given reason for the enemies of God to blaspheme. You've justified their unbelief. You've, you've justified their opposition to us and their opposition to Yahweh. 
You're acting just like all the pagan kings act. And now they can look at this and say, well, look at David just acts the same as the rest of us. Obviously, their God is no special God. Whenever the people of God act in ways that are contrary to God's character, we desecrate his name. Here's a contemporary example of this. Several years ago, I, I, I saw this uh, editorial in the paper that just gripped me in the St. Paul Pioneer Press. This is just prior to the 2004 election when everyone's writing editorials about various and sundry matters. And uh, I wish Christians would fast from doing that. <laughs> but this person says this. When I read letters sent in by Bible-thumping Christians telling us how right they are and how wrong the rest of us are, how God is on their side but not on ours, how God hates gays, liberals, and other supposedly evil people, I close my eyes for a moment and whisper a quiet prayer. I thank thee, O Lord, that I am not and never shall be a Christian. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah, see, when there's that judgmental, self-righteous, angry, vitriolic language and behavior on the part of Christians, it justifies people like this saying, I don't I, if that's, if that's what your God is like, no thank you. In fact, I'm thankful to my God that I'm not under your God. That's desecrating the, the name of the Lord. We're called to be known first and foremost by our love. By this they will know that you're my disciples, by your love. John 13, 35. And that love reflects the love that God, God's essence is as manifested on Calvary. That's what we're called to do. But what instead Christians are known, as they so frequently are in, in our culture, as being these self-righteous, self-serving, angry moralists and who just go around judging people, and that doesn't look at all like Jesus. And when the people of God are ugly instead of being beautiful, it reflects badly on God. God now looks ugly. And it repels people rather than attracts people. It does the opposite of what God has called us to do. Israel, like the, so much of the church today, often failed on manifesting the holy name of God. But throughout the Old Testament, God promised, even when he was judging them, he always mixes mercy with judgment. And even in the process of judging them for desecrating his name, he showed mercy. He gave a mercy promise by saying, someday I'm going to make you a people who know me and walk in my ways and magnify my name throughout all the earth. Someday you'll stop profaning my name. And so one example of this is Ezekiel 36. Uh, here the Lord has just uh, read uh, Israel the riot act because they've been profaning his name. But he promises, I'll restore you and I'll bring you back to the land. But then he tells Ezekiel this, starting with verse 22. Look at this. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Now, listen to this very carefully. It's not for your sake, house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, namely restore you and bring you back to the land, but for the sake of my holy name, or it could be translated, to make my name holy, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the, the nations, the name that you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord. L listen to this. When I improved holy through you before their eyes. 
For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idolatry. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my own spirit in you and move you to walk in my decrees. Tremendous promise that is given there. God promises that someday he's going to demonstrate his holy name through his people before the eyes of, of the nations. And he's going to do it by doing four things, four promises here in Ezekiel 36. He's going to cleanse them of their sin, number one. Number two, he'll free them from their idolatry. Number three, he'll take their heart of stone and give them a new heart and a new spirit, a new disposition. And number four, he promises that he himself is going to come and dwell within them and live through them and motivate them and empower them to bear his name, to manifest his character, to give him the good reputation that he deserves. And when that happens, the Israelites will be blessed. They'll be blessed. But that's not the primary reason why God is doing this. The primary reason is that he's doing it for his own sake. He's doing it for his name's sake, it says in Ezekiel 36. He wants his holiness, his beauty, and his glory to be put on display through his people. Because ultimately, he wants the world to know his glory and his beauty in order to share his beauty and his glory and his life with all people. And he wants to use his chosen people, the Israelites, as the means of doing that. He wants them to be a people who bear his name who carry out his reputation. He wants the world to know what he is like by looking at his people. So they will know that he is distinct because his people are distinct. His people are holy. Now what we need to understand is that the promise of God that's given in Ezekiel 36 is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In fact, all the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, for no matter how many promises God has made, that kind of covers them all, doesn't it? How, however many there are God that he has made, they are yes in Christ. They are affirmed in Christ. So all of God's promises to Israel, including Ezekiel 30, 36, is fulfilled in Christ. And because it's fulfilled in Christ, it's fulfilled in all who are in Christ. And everyone who's put their trust in Jesus Christ is in Christ. So all of those promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Christ and therefore apply to the people of God who are now in Christ. That's why Paul calls the church the new Israel. The promises for Israel apply now to the church. So let's look at Ezekiel 36 and see how it's fulfilled. Jesus, number one, cleanses us from all of our sin. Number two, he frees us from idolatry because he reconnects us to the true source of life. We're to be a people who get all of our worth and all of our significance and all of our need for love and all of our need for security found in our relationship with God, nothing else. And as we get our innermost needs met through Christ, we're freed from having to strive to try to get them from uh, all the other idols in the world, the houses that we own, the reputations that we get for ourselves, uh, the wealth that we have, our sex appeal, and all the other silly stuff. We're freed from that, which is the most freeing thing in the world. Number three, Jesus', Jesus beauty wins us over. He transforms our heart. He gives us a new disposition towards God, ourselves, and others. And fourth, when we submit our lives to the king, he, his own spirit comes and resides within us, the Holy Spirit. And now God himself is empowering us and moving us to walk in his ways, to be a people who bear his name. Ezekiel 36 is fulfilled in the church. And as was the case in Ezekiel 36, we are blessed by this. We are saved by this. We're the benefactors of this. 
We get to participate in the life of the triune God. And we get to know a form of, of, of love and joy and life that the world can't offer you. We're blessed by this. But that's not the main reason God does it. He loves to bless you. But he does it for his name's sake. He does it for his glory's sake. The primary thing that moves him is he now wants to turn you into the conduit by which the world can see his beauty, his holiness, his love, and his glory. He wants to put his character, his name on display, and he wants to do it through his people. So he calls on us to be a people who bear his name. That is to say, who bear his character, who advance his reputation. He wants his bride to be uh, such that when people look at her, they see something of what God is like. He wants to be put on display in the world and we're to be the means by which he, do, he, he, he does that. We're to make his name magnified throughout all the earth. And all of that, amen. All of that, folks, is what lies behind this phrase, hallowed be thy name. We're asking God to keep his reputation holy. And in doing that, we're asking him to keep his reputation holy through us which means we're asking him to sanctify us, that his name would be sanctified. We're, we're really praying, God, give us that new heart that you promised in Ezekiel 36. Give us that new disposition that you promised in, in Ezekiel 36. Come and abide within us as you promised in Ezekiel 36. To pray, hallowed be thy name, means you are offering up yourself to be the means by which that prayer is answered. Let me say that again. To pray, hallowed be thy name, you are offering yourself up as the means by which God himself answers that prayer through you. You're saying, God, empower me to bear your name. Let the world see what you are like by looking at us. We're saying, Lord, your character is holy. Show that holy character through us. We're saying, God, may your uniqueness be displayed in my uniqueness. May your love be reflected in my love. May your grace, that holy, distinct, otherworldly kind of grace that's not found anywhere else, may that be put on display in me. May your compassion be put on display in me. May your concern for the outsider, the weak, the poor, and the oppressed, may that concern be manifested in me. May your outrageous generosity be reflected in my generosity. May your healing power and your freeing power be displayed in, in my life as I administered to others to help them be set free uh, and, and to be healed. May your outrageous unconditional forgiveness be displayed in me as I forgive others who have trespassed against me. May your gentleness and humility be reflected in my gentleness and humility. All that is prayed in, Lord, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. And the awesome reality behind it is this. God's reputation hangs on us. We are the body of Christ. Look at everything. My reputation completely hangs on what my body does. It really does. What comes out of my mouth, uh, what I do with my arms, what I do with my legs, my reputation is a very much affected by what I do with my body. In fact, it all is affected by it. So also we're the body of Christ. We're the hands and feet of Christ here on this earth. We affect his reputation, which is to say we either desecrate and profane his name or we exalt and magnify his name. We are God's walking, talking billboards. Think of it like that. You are God's poster child. <laughs> you are to the world saying, and, 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 and this is how it should be, you're saying this is what God is like. Or to use New Testament language, we, we bear witness to Christ. That's what that constant means. We bear witness. We testify of Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, you are God's letter of recommendation known and read by all people. You're the epistle. You're, the, you're God's epistle to the world. 
Be careful what is written on that epistle because the world interprets God by looking at you. And this isn't an incidental thing, a secondary thing. This is a central thing. This is a central purpose. It was part of the central purpose that God had for Israel, and therefore it's part of the central purpose that God has for the church. In fact, it's been the central purpose that God's had for human beings from day one, actually from day six. Uh, when he creates human beings, he says, let us make humans in our image. We're made in the image of God. That means we're to be image bearers. God, from, the, from the very start, God wanted human beings to be little mirrors of who he is. We put on display, we reflect who he is. And he gives us a little area of dominion to do in a little way what he does in a big way. So he gives us authority over the earth and over the animal kingdom. And he wants us to reflect his character by how we exercise that dominion and by how we treat one another and by how we treat ourselves. We're to be reflecting the character of God. So in the church, God's purpose for humanity is to be fulfilled. And to do that means we're to be a people who keep his name holy, who manifest his holy name, who give him a good ref uh, uh, reputation, who reflect well on him. And to do that is to spread the kingdom of God. Which is why the next phrase that Jesus tells us to pray is your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And the question we've got to be asking ourselves as we go into this, folks, is, is simply this. Honestly, Holy Spirit, make us honest. Do I bear the beauty of Jesus Christ? Do I display the character of God? Uh, when people look at me, do they see something of what God is like? The God who was revealed ultimately on Calvary. Do I cause people to bless God's name or to curse God's name? Can we pray authentically this prayer? Now, some of us have prayed this prayer a thousand times and ten thousand times and haven't even really known what it meant. Hallowed be your name. It's just sort of a traditional way to pray. Now you know what it means. Can you pray it? Hallowed be your name. Which is to say, Lord, help me live in a way that keeps your name hallowed, sacred, consecrated, set apart, unique, beautiful. Lord, just deal with us on that. Keep his name holy. We get a lot of funky ideas about the word holy. In fact, in a lot, some circles, the word holy is, is not even a good word. Uh, it's, it's been so legalized in some circles. When I was first a Christian, they taught me that holiness was about the, the, honoring this to-do list and staying away from that don't-do list. And, and, and what that does, you know, don't go to movies and don't, don't, do the, don't go to baseball games because they serve beer there. And we had all these different rules. Don't listen to rock and roll music like, like, like Annie Lamox or whatever her name was. Uh, and see, folks, what that does, what that does is it just trivializes holiness, turns it into a set of behaviors, and it trivializes sin. What, it, what, what holiness is really about is, is not this particular religious to-do list. It's about your character. It's about how you live. It's about how you interact with people. It's about how you look at people, how you talk to people, how you talk about people. It's about how you drive. It's about how you spend your money. It's about how you interact with your neighbors. It's about how you spend your time and resources. It's about how you live. Everything you do is a billboard about God's character. And let the Holy Spirit deal with you on that. What needs to stay, what needs to go. When you do that, you're bringing God's kingdom into this world, which is why the next phrase is your kingdom come. It really is the same prayer, but in a slightly different way. For God to make his name holy through us is for God to bring his kingdom in us. A kingdom is simply any domain over which someone is king. And we're to be praying and to be living in such a way that our life is a dome in which he is king. He reigns in our life. And when we do that, he begins to reign through our life and the kingdom of God begins to spread. Wherever God is king, wherever he is ruling, that is his domain. 
And when that happens, to the degree that it happens, when we yield to that happening, we are now putting on display his character and increasing his reputation. We're magnifying his name and keeping it holy. When God reigns in us, his unique holy character becomes our unique holy character. His love begins to become our love. His generosity begins to become our generosity. His compassion and grace begins to become our compassion and grace. In fact, as you submit to him reigning in your life, all that is his by nature starts to become yours by grace. And that's what's called the fruit of the Spirit. He gives his kid his character. That's what it looks like when God reigns in a person's life. You begin to become more Christ-like. So where God reigns in a person's life, all that is not part of God's character, all that's part of the fallen world, begins to be confronted and in time overcome and in time pushed out. Every aspect of the fallen world in our own lives and in society and in, around the globe, everything that's not consistent with, with uh, the character of God is something that we don't allow in. We revolt against it. That, that, we did a whole series on revolting beauty uh, that was along these lines. The kingdom it manifests the beauty of God's character and revolts against everything that's not consistent with it. That's what it looks like when God reigns in our, in our life. It also means healing then. Because when God's wholeness and character comes into our life, all the brokenness begins to be reversed. Not instantaneously at all. It's a lifelong process. But it begins to be confronted and reversed. So when, when God reigns and he's making his name known through you, there begins to be healing available to you on every level. Healing in your emotions. Healing in your spirit so that you learn to get all of your worth and life and significance from Jesus Christ and not from the things around you. There, there begins to be healing in our bodies. There begins to be healing in our relationships with others. Uh, uh, the brokenness in our finances, and the brokenness in our attitudes, and in our language, and in our, our behavior, it begins to be reversed. And that's the healing power of God coming into our life. To submit to the king means you are submitting to a process of healing. We're to pray for that healing, for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done in our life as it is in heaven, and through our life as it is in heaven. But now note this. When we pray for wholeness and healing in relationships, in our emotions, in our bodies, uh, in our finances, when we pray for those things, we're not to pray just for our own sake. We're to pray for his name's sake. Because we're the fulfillment of Ezekiel 36. And in Ezekiel 36, God says he he's not doing it for our sake. He's doing it for his name's sake. He loves to bless us. He loves to heal us. He loves to restore us. But now that becomes a billboard to others. And his heart is for the whole world. It becomes a magnet that attracts others into the power and the beauty of the kingdom. And we are to be the conduits of doing that. This is what I think true evangelism looks like. It's walking as a billboard for the, uh, displaying the beauty of Jesus Christ. Far more in your life than in your words. Use words when necessary. But your life is the invitation for people to come into the beauty of a submitted life to Jesus Christ. So we pray for God's namesake. Lord, glorify yourself by healing me. Glorify yourself by restoring my family. You know, when Jesus came to the blind man in John chapter 9, he was blind from birth, and the disciples asked the very typical human misguided question. They said, who sinned? Because this man was born blind. There's always got to be someone to blame. We just love to judge, don't we? Who sinned? Was it his parents or was it him? Those are your two options, Jesus. You choose between the two. And Jesus simply said, 
And they should have got this from the book of Job because the whole book of Job is meant to blast that theology away, but you still get it all over the place today. If there's any kind of ailment in your life, well, clearly you're not walking in faith and you must have sinned. Look at Jesus says, neither. And then in the original Greek, he just says, let God be glorified. That's the only thing that matters. How he got this way? That's an unanswerable question. Don't go there. What is important is how can God use this now to bring glory to his, na to, to his name? And so he heals the man. And he, that glorifies God because now the man goes out and starts telling people, I was blind, but now I can see. He is bragging on God. He's testifying. He's, he's, in, he's showing the greatness of God. That is magnifying the name of God, the character of God. He's increasing God's reputation in his community. That, folks, is what we are called to do. And every time we do it, we're spreading the kingdom a little bit more. We're going to have a time of healing, uh, prayer for healing here, uh, after we take the offertory. And I, I, I'm going to invite everybody who has, who has needs uh, on any level to come forward. But I want us to come forward not just for our sake. Though, of course, you're doing that as well. But to come forward that God would glorify himself. Which means you come forward with a commitment. And this is, should be something we live in. That when God touches you, you will tell someone about it. You'll, 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 just, you'll make it known. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't hoard that blessing. Spread it around. Make God's name and reputation great. We'll start by having one song uh, of, of worship uh, as we take up the offertory. So well, can I ask the ushers to come forward? An offering is an act of worship because we are, are ascribing worth to God, not just with our mouth, but through our sacrifice. And it's the sacrifice of our giving that honors God. It's not the amount. It's the sacrifice. It's not how much it is, but how much it costs you to give it. And that honors God, and it furthers the kingdom. He used that, he, as in every other area of life, he uses our bleeding to further the kingdom. And so the only thing we ever ask people is just, you pray about how God would have you steward your resources. Uh, just land in that. Just pray about that. And then after that, uh, I'll come back up and I'll open this, uh, uh, I'll usher us into this uh, healing time. So Father, we ask now, Holy Spirit, you are present here. Just glorify the name of our beautiful God and Savior here in our midst. Be glorified by this offering and be glorified by all the healing that will take place afterwards in Jesus' name. Let's worship the Lord.
Folks who are waiting in line, there's a few, uh, I'm told, a, a few uh, folks that are on the prayer team. If you're, if you're available on the prayer team and, and um, the folks in the line can't see it, just raise your hand so they can see it. And, and, and just wait in line and, and uh, we want to address all those different needs. And the music will continue. Uh, for those of you who are praying, don't leave till you feel you need to leave. And even in, out there in the auditorium, you can stay, sit, stand until you feel like you're supposed to leave. God's a beautiful God, isn't he? A magnificent, beautiful Lord. Oh, that the world could see his beauty. Amen. Amen, amen. And there's this beautiful, beautiful, sweet kingdom stuff going on up here. I just love it. I just love to see the kingdom happening like this. I encourage you, if God has touched you in any way in this service, 
or in other services or at any other time. Remember that it's not just for you. Don't hoard that gift. It's meant to be shared. And that's about telling people, just mentioning the goodness of God. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Tell somebody about that. I had a marriage that was falling apart, but now it's good. Tell somebody about that. I, I, I had emotional issues, and now, now I'm healthier. Tell somebody about that. Remember who gave you the gift, and he gave it to be shared. And that's how he magnifies his name. So, Lord, as we leave this place, we pray, God, that you would make us a people who bear your name, who are your walking, talking billboards, who show forth your beauty and your generosity and your grace to all people at all times, Lord God. Make your name holy. Bring your kingdom in us and through us. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said one last time. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go be a billboard. <laughs>